and welcome back to Esbat a Bookish podcast. I'm Elle. And I'm Reggie. And today we're joined by author Catherine Silver um, discussing the book All the Birds Singing. Uh, so Catherine, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so All the Birds Singing is a book by Evie Wilde. It follows Jake White, who is living on her own on a farmhouse on a craggy British island um, with a disobedient collie and a flock of sheep. But there's something strange happening on the island with the sheep being picked off one by one. Um, So to start us off then, Catherine, why did you choose this book? So I've always had an affinity for books that that first of all have a uh, female main character just um, who is uh, not perfect, you know, just somebody who is struggling <laughs> with uh, something that they've done in their past and is trying to either atone for it or uh, trying to move on from it quietly. And Jake is sort of living on her own in the on this remote island and is sort of hiding from her past. And um, and the book obviously takes you through what happened, but in a really cool, unique way. Um, but moreover, I'm really drawn to books where there is something lurking in the woods and either it's explained or it's not. And in this book's case, it's it's left a little more ambiguous, um, but it's uh, but I love stories about things lurking in the woods. So. That was what drew me to it initially. Yeah, and there's definitely some, with the woods thing. Um, there's definitely something there. I mean, obviously, when you look even looking at fairy tales, probably the original stories were. This is why you don't go into the woods because there's dangerous yes. things hiding there. Um, and you said obviously it's, it's partly about her past as well, which is she's from Australia, isn't she initially? Yep. Yep. Um, so wh- when is this set? Is it like recent or is it set in the past? So the book came out in 2013. I think that it's meant to be pretty present tense. Um, mm-hmm. Like it takes place um, around now or when it came out. Um, and then it sort of bounces back and forth between modern day and then um the past of the main character. And what's really cool about it is that the past sequences are all told in present tense. Okay. Um, And the present is told in past tense. So that's kind of fun too. But then the, uh, all of the past chapters kind of go from the most recent uh, past to the far past. Yeah. That's, a little weird too but I really really loved that yeah one of the um one of the reviews I read about it as well said about that kind of how it starts with um like in it goes in reverse with the chapters in the past um yeah and with her on a sheep station in the outback um which is really interesting because I think often you it's not um 
that kind of going from Australia to Britain, is it explained in the book why she comes to England or? It does explain. Yeah, she um, she ends up inheriting money and buys the the sheep farm and goes there to get away from everything that happened to her. Okay, so is, is, is there any particular reason it's Britain, or is it just kind of wherever she can find and, and goes to there? Yeah, I think it was just kind of wherever um, wherever she could find. Um, I did read the book uh, <laughs> several years ago, um, yeah. but if I remember correctly, I I think it was just you know a she had an opportunity to buy this this sheep farm and it happened to be um, on a remote island. And I think probably the more remote, the better uh, for her. Just she kind of wants to be away from everybody. And so that's where she went. Yeah. And I suppose there's an element there as well of um, how far away Australia is to Britain, like the complete opposite end of the planet. Yeah. Uh, And like you said, that kind of remoteness as well with, when she's escaping something from her past. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds like an absolutely fascinating, fascinating book. Um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty blown away by it because it was not what I was expecting at all. Um, yeah. I, I had recently read another book where and there were also, you know, creepy things lurking in the woods and um so i wanted another something like that and um this actually ended up being i don't know a little deeper and and more heart-wrenching but also uh i loved the ambiguity of it too you know this feeling that like is our protagonist kind of going crazy because she thinks she's going a little crazy um wondering if this thing actually exists in the woods or if it's just her mind playing tricks on her yeah and so is she fleeing from this thing that she sees in the woods or is she fleeing something else and this thing in the woods is like a manifestation or even an instigator for that fleeing so she's fleeing something else. Um, she ended up, uh, you know, back when I think she was a teenager, she had sort of fallen for this this other teenage boy, and he ended up not liking her in return. He liked somebody else, and she got jealous and basically set that person's house on fire oh geez oh, yeah and, that's a normal uh, reaction yeah you know just you know jealous teenager uh going a little too far overboard and and then that person in the house ended up uh dying and the boy that she liked tried to run in and save the the person in the house and he ended up getting burned and being in a coma and um they the town thought at first that the boy was responsible for the fire um and evie sort of go uh, evie that's the that's the author the jake uh, the author goes, has self-inserted herself yes. into the book 
Yes. Um, Jake ends up going to the boy's bedside in the hospital and saying like that she's going to confess if he ever wakes up from the coma and uh, somebody overhears her. And so she kind of goes on the run, gets vilified by the town and um, and then uh, from there, even more terrible things happen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, ends up, I think, becoming a prostitute was the next uh, next step. And then um, gets kind of trapped by one of her clients in a house where she's abused and uh, locked inside, not allowed to go out, um, isn't able to drive. Her bike is destroyed by this guy. Like, it's pretty, pretty horrible just sequence of events that happened to her. Um, so after all this trauma and all this, um, this terrible stuff, she's just wants to get away from all of it. So. Yeah. And escapes to the remote island. And the remote island is in the UK. Is it in like Scotland, like up north, like one of those islands? Yeah, I think they say it's a Scottish island. Yeah, I think the viewer I just said uh, off the coast of Britain, but I would say probably likeliest to be island uh, to be Scotland. Um, yeah, based on my limited UK geographical knowledge, I I mostly think of those remote islands as being Scottish. Yeah, yeah. There's not many like the Shetlands or something. Mhm. Yeah, like the I think it's the Our Hebrides that way. Um, Those yeah. are very remote. Yeah, I mean we've got two islands off the coast here, but I mean you can literally see them from the mainland, um, so they're not remote in the slightest. Gotcha. Yeah, I I remember in but the before times the before COVID times I was planning a trip to the Shetlands for the. Um, the fire festival up in the Shetlands, mm -hmm. um, which is like one of the longest going Norse fire festivals in winter. Um, I just really wanted to see it. And then COVID happened. But I remember planning the trip and it was like, you have to take this flight and this flight and then a puddle hopper. And I was like, this is pretty far out there. Like if I'm going, it's going to be for like longer than a day or two because the logistics are just insane. Yeah, sounds like it. Still want to go, but... Sounds awesome. I mean, that, who doesn't want to see a fire festival? Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. But I can't imagine living on one of those islands unless you're, like, for the American equivalent, fleeing to a remote island in Alaska where you're yeah. just trying to hide. Yeah, I they they do have, like some of them do have like communities there and stuff, and then other ones have because they're sites of sort of natu nature uh, reserves, and so they have people living there to a basically look after the island to make sure others don't disturb it, or b doing like studies on them and stuff as well. 
um because it crops up now and again they advertise for like six months you can just basically go live on this island i wherever. knew a woman who did that um hmm. she went and she studied sorry to cut you off there Al. she no, went no. and she studied she did um raptor rehabilitation so up in this remote island off alaska and she would go for six months out of the year and it was six months because they only had like monthly plane drops and things like that. So you only got mail once a month. And it sounded insane. But as far as I know, after she graduated with her master, she went back. So wow. some people really like it. Yeah, but that's cool. I mean, raptor rehabilitation sounds pretty cool. Not gonna lie, I'm not. I'm not so sure about Jake in the story, but raptor rehabilitation <laughs> seems like something I personally would flee to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and when you've, it's like with everything she experiences as well, and especially with the, um, the way the townspeople must treat her after that, and the events that roll on from that I can understand why you would kind of want to find someone that's just completely away from humanity yeah and it's interesting as well that she's it's the sheep and her dog are the only like living things that she sees regularly from the sound of it um and it sounds like the dog is described as a disobedient collie (laughs) and its name is dog which is just Brilliant. Yep. Oh. Also, sorry. Yeah, I think it, it kind of just makes sense for the story that, you know, the not to uh name things with uh actual names, because I guess like you'll start caring about them too much or something like that. Like just this mm-hmm. sort of detached feeling that makes a lot of sense because they always tell you not to name something if you're going to have to like if you've rescued an animal you shouldn't name it because then you want to keep it humans form emotional bonds very easily to anything named and obviously the the collie would be a working dog as well so yeah but as well as that it's probably a reflection of her character because of where she has I, I imagine that she, where she's formed those attachments before and it's not worked out for her um, yeah. any living thing would represent a kind of um, a, any living thing she probably doesn't want to attach to because in her mind I suspect any attachment just results in something awful happening yeah It's, you know, every time it seems like every time she has found something that uh, she seems to be okay with, something bad happens. Um, So there's just no stability. And. um, Yeah, it it, um, just kind of seems like it's better to be safer than sorry and not not form the attachments. Mm -hmm. And this thing that's in the woods is this thing in the Australia past segment or is it in the Scottish or UK island 
segment it's of the book. In, it's in the, the island segment of the book. So it's okay. kind of like, you know, she's been on this island, she's taking care of these sheep, and then um, when the story opens, basically she is she's found a sheep that has um, been killed um, pretty graphically and it's the second one that she's found that's died and whatever this thing is that's killing the sheep it's killing them but it's not eating them oh so, so it's even more like sinister and creepy yeah there's something oddly human about that right yeah like the hunting for sport or for fun versus hunting for food. Yeah. And it's, it's almost become a little bit of a trope in horror as well, that kind of discovering an animal that's not, that's been killed, but not eaten. Um, and it's linked to like, obviously linked to loads of different types of thing, but I, I think it's part of um, sort of UFO stories as well. Yeah that kind of idea of um i think it's that ranch as well the um i've, I've watched documentary on it before it was terrible but um one of the things there was that they found sort of cattle that had been killed but not eaten um mm. yeah or you know animals that had been mutilated but not eaten in the way that you would get if it was a predator animal yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that the movie Prey from last year, 2022, mm-hmm. um, it also has that trope, but it kind of flips it a little bit because when the main character discovers all these American bison um, killed and skinned on the field, it's actually not, Prey is a predator movie, by the way, it's actually not the predator who has done that, it is the French fur trappers. So it's kind of like a little bait and switch on that trope because it was actually a terrestrial creature who had done this. Yeah, that's kind of like pointing the finger at who's who's actually the monster or who's a worse monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like we can accept if an animal is hunted for its food, but not just killed for the sake of it. Yeah, and I remember that part of the movie... Uh, the main character is obviously upset about it, as she is a, I think she's a Comanche Indian woman, Native American woman. Um, yeah. And the predator comes and sees it and is also upset by it. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting because it was more upset in the fact that, oh, there's something out here that I can hunt. But also, like, why do this? You must be a real badass if you are doing this to these giant bison. So, going back to the things in the woods that you like so much. (laughs) Because I also like things in the woods, because the woods are terrifying. Yep. Um, I live in a northern or more northern part of Appalachia. But... Up here, we have all sorts of its own folklore and things like that. But with regards to how this book compares to another book of a similar vein, would you say that it's 
just taking a different spin on it? Or how would you compare this to another favorite book of something in the woods? So I, I think what I like about this versus others is that it's um, I don't think the plot necessarily is contingent on finding out what the thing in the woods is versus the main character sort of coming to terms with her past. Um, it's it's kind of like it's a it's another aspect of the story and it's an intriguing one, but it's not um, it's not the whole point of the story, I guess. And I I like that. I like that it's kind of like it's uh, it's nebulous. It's not defined. Um, we don't ever really find out what it is. Um, and I like that. <laughs> uh, I guess it's like when you it, it's scarier to me if it's uh, something that is not um, concrete. It's not. Uh, you know, you don't have a picture of it. And I guess that's always been just kind of how I've felt about uh, books that have a creature horror aspect to them. And um, so the like another book that I had read, which also did not explain whatever the thing in the woods was, um, was also really good. And of course, I'm going to have a terrible time trying to remember what it is right now. Oh, that um, always happens. Whenever you're put on the spot, it just flies yeah. out of your brain. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I want to say it was called Into the Woods. I think the book is called Into the Woods. Um, and I'm actually going to look it up. I hope that's okay. Because that's fine. They really want to. Yeah, absolutely. To we, we do that all the time. I that name rings a bell as well, and I'm I'm trying to think of why. Um. um yeah. The, <clears throat> I think it's a TV series actually. It was a TV series. Yeah. Um. It's Tana French in in the woods. Oh, that one. I actually just. I did read that book. I think I actually yeah. put it in my like to donate pile recently because I'm like, I'm not going to read this one again. <laughs> Interesting. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There's what, sorry. Like we've, have we, I feel like we might've discussed this recently or something, something about it rings a bell. Um, for, like recent stuff, especially considering it came out, that one came out in like 2007. Yes. Yeah, and there's something really like the woods, especially, there's something really intriguing and pri like primal about that kind of fear of what is actually hiding out there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And also that it, the deeper you go, the thicker, darker the woods become. So anything could be there. It's kind of yeah. like a terrestrial deep sea. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it does take work to get into the woods. It takes planning, hiking. Um, you have to make sure you actually know how to survive if the deeper you go. So it makes sense that something unknown could be out there. And then at night, your mind just plays tricks on you. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Um, that's, I think that's another one of the things that I just really like about all the birds singing is just the, the not knowing if it is something that is, um, that, that our main character is kind of just seeing, um, just kind of imagining is there. And, um, and one of the, the reasons why it kind of plays with you is that there is a scene earlier in the book where, um, where Jake is trapped with, um, Otto, who is this, um, this, you know, creepy dude who she had as a client when she was a prostitute and, he basically has her killing sheep and he's getting off on it. It's really, really gross and uh, just unnerving. Yeah. And but she's she's killing sheep. So that's where you're kind of like, oh, OK, is this really a monster in the woods? Is this just her like? going through some fugue state, um, going out and killing her own flock. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting aspect to it as well. I think it's quite interesting because I think we was in the, obviously in the States, you guys have got um, a lot of different animals that could be quite dangerous and stuff out in the wild you mm -hmm. don't tend to have that over here as much so when you have sort of something that's set in the uk that does have that aspect of something creepy is hiding in the woods there is there's no sort of rational explanation behind that a lot if you're using that as a setting in a book um because you don't have wolves wandering about or bears or coyotes mm-hmm you mean you don't have bears on cocaine running around? <laughs> they do not have bears on cocaine, unfortunately. They are trying to rewild parts of the UK. So Ooh. whether or not we will get cocaine bears in the future, the closest I can think of is the uh, London crack fox. What? And uh, if anyone has, does understand that reference, I love you immediately. Um, <laughs> watch Mighty Boosh. Oh, there's a um, whole thing in that about a crack fox. I remember this now. Yeah, so God. which does it's just always stood in my head, um, stood out in my head for some reason. And I think most people who, who watch Mighty Boosh, especially when it was around years and years ago, um, remember that. But yeah, they are trying to rewild parts of it. I think, especially in Scotland, they're looking at reintroducing bears and wolves. So whether or not that'll change, and one day we will be able to go, oh, there's something weird happening in the woods. Oh, it's bears. On cocaine. Possibly on cocaine. Definitely. Possibly on cocaine. Next thing you know, we'll have Cocaine Bear 2, um, Electric Boogaloo, something like that. <laughs> London Calling. London Calling. Just make it the longest title. Yeah. I do know, like, when, when I was a teenager, we went to Crete on a family holiday, um, and it was 
I think it's Hassanasis. There's like a resort on the sort of seafront, and then these little villages dotted up in the mountains. Um, so the villages have got like you know tavernas and and bars. And my parents decided it was a good idea that the night we went up there we would walk back down. Oh no. And the walk down is a road that's got woods either side of it. Um, and there were signs warning you against the wild pigs that were wandering about. Jeez. Um, and it was so creepy walking down there because you just had, you looked to your right and you could see nothing. Um, mm. And then about halfway down, there was this little church with a cemetery. Um and my parents wanted to go in and look at what was there and all the graves that they a lot of Greek people will spend their whole life saving up for their graves. Um, so you've got these pure white gravestones with little boxes in them of a photo of the deceased and a candle and a little plastic sheet over it. Um, and as we walked in, there was a black cat on the wall, a bat flew overhead, <laughs> and you've got these plastic sheets in the wind, like, catching it, and the candles are flickering. Yeah. Um, it was terrifying. And then you, yeah, just surrounded by all these woods with wild pigs in it. Wow. I have a good creepy wood story from uh, Japan, where I used to live. Oh, if you want to hear cool. that one. So um, I used to live in Hokkaido, and Hokkaido is um, pretty rural. It's mostly like farming communities. It's the place where you get like 20 feet of snow in the winter, and then in the summer, it's like thick forests that um, people use for forestry goods, you know, like paper, um, woodcraft, and things like that. And um, in the center-ish, it's about the size of Ohio for geographical reference so um around the center ish of hokkaido is um daisetsuzan national park right so it's daisetsuzan um and it's this big mountain range right and in the 80s there was um missing hikers out there and they had these helicopters going around looking for the hikers because you can't go on foot, right? It's too big. It's too thick. You need to have aerial rescue. And they spot this SOS sign, like, built out of logs or something on the side of the mountain. And if I'm recalling correctly, um, they saw the SOS sign. They landed, and the hikers were on the other side of the mountain, they found the hikers, but next to the SOS sign was a corpse. Oh, God. And the, the two hikers said they did not build that SOS sign. No oh, one wow. knows who built this SOS sign. And it is SOS. It's like the letters SOS. And mm. there was like a recorder found and no one, I think some people have heard it. I'm not sure if it's available on the internet. I haven't looked that closely into it. But it's also like, what happened to these guys? Like, what happened with that corpse? Was this all, like, how did they get rescued? It was, like, did that person build it and then pass away? And then they happened to be, you know, lucky enough to be nearby. Um, but yeah. it's really weird and creepy. And it honestly will probably never be solved. Yeah. But 
Hokkaido has, um, it has bears, it has, you know, foxes and things like that. So it's not without its natural predators. And I think the majority of the people up there have like a pretty healthy respect for nature if you're existing with it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just a weird incident. And I really should write a story kind of about that, but uh, I don't know if I will <laughs> have a different story in mind for a different part of Hokkaido. But it's like you never know what you can find out there. And whenever you find something, sometimes there is no answer. Yeah. 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 And like I said, I mean, the woods are probably one of the original horror settings as well. Um, even stuff like going back to like Hansel and Gretel. Uh, oh, yeah. Red Riding Hood. You know, there were stories about why you shouldn't go into those woods. Um so are there any kind of other standout books that you can think of that are based in woods or that the horror comes from the woods themselves that you'd recommend? Or even stories? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, so um, I read a great one a couple of years ago. It's actually by um, a friend and um, it is called The Forest. Um, it was on the uh i think it made the final ballot for the stoker awards in 2020 was 2021 yeah um and it's um it's by lisa and i'm forgetting her last name again (laughs) i'm a horrible person um oh my gosh give me one moment I am a horrible, horrible person. I'm constantly double checking the surname for people I'm friends with because you know, just can't always remember them or can't remember how to spell them. Uh, Lisa Quigley, there it is. Um, and that, so that, um, that book, The Forest by Lisa Quigley, is a a really um. It's got a, a uh, village type feel to it um, where it's sort of this small town that's kind of located out in the woods and they have a um, they have like this understanding with the things in the woods um, that they make a sacrifice to it every I can't remember how often it is, but it's like every few number of years. Um, and, um, and the main character is, has just had a child and she is told that she has to sacrifice her child to the things in the woods. So it's a really like scary, um, what do I do scenario, um, that's written really beautifully and um, involves all kinds of woods uh, scenarios and uh, hiking and running around in them. So I do suggest that one. Okay. 
Yeah, that sounds really intriguing as well. Especially like the folk horror, horror element of um, the sacrifice and the, the the village and town all being in on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if I'm allowed to recommend my own stuff, but it certainly absolutely can. Okay. You absolutely can. We do not yeah, have a ban on that. Okay. Um, I because I have been so inspired by the woods, like I live in the woods. I've spent a lot of my life hiking around in the New England woods. I have written um, a series that is um, that's called the Wild Oblivion series, and my book is The Wild Dark, and that is about an apocalyptic forest that is taking over the world. And um, my main character is an ex-cop who is still trying to get over the loss of her best friend um, and partner who died the year before. And with these apocalyptic wool, uh, this apocalyptic woods that are that are coming in, they also bring ghosts with them. Mm-hmm. And his ghost comes back to haunt her. So it's a like confronting the past and having to survive scary woods and soul eating wolves that come with the woods. That sounds brilliant. Um, yeah, that sounds very good. Um, I was just thinking as well, like the, the woods as well, how ripe they are when it comes to kind of urban legends and um the sort of creepy pasta style stories that we've seen over the last like the more recent 10 oh, 20 yeah. years um like when you were talking then i just thought of the the steps in the woods oh yeah the search and rescue series yeah. of stories um because they were like they're about a search and rescue team who go in the woods but there's certain things like a lot of these stories that follow this kind of there's rules there's things you have to make sure you do or don't do um mm. and that one they they just come across this set of stairs that lead to nowhere in the woods yeah and that image is so like strong and it just kind of sticks in your head as well wasn't there a bit of controversy with the later installments of that series it's taking from um david polides and his research on missing people I feel like that was the series that had the controversy because David Polides, um, because of course I know about weird, creepy conspiracy stuff. Why wouldn't <laughs> I? Um, he does research on missing people in America's national parks and how weird some of those cases are. Um, and some of them, I think, were like direct copy pastes from his book, but doesn't make it any less creepy. The stairs, I'm pretty sure, were, like, a completely original invention. But some of this stuff is creepy. Like, you just disappear. Like, someone, it looks like they just sat down for a minute and then they're gone. Yeah, Yeah. that's the missing 411, doesn't it? Um, Yes, that's it. Yeah. Documentaries are pretty interesting. Yeah, I've heard about his. I, I need to read some of his stuff. Um, yeah, very interesting. In the first season of the podcast as well, we did talk about um, the How to Survive Camping series by Bonnie Quinn. Yes, we did. 
um, which is about a, a campsite that's got a lot of these folklore elements, um, but she's trying to keep the people safe by giving them these rules about how you you don't follow the lights, you don't drink from the man's cup, things like that. Um, yeah, and then just the woods themselves, they're just such a, like, they're so ripe for so many different types of stories and so many different types of narratives as well and stuff. Um, and, and then you have one of my all-time favourite Australian wilderness movies, which is Boar, which is about a giant-ass <laughs> boar that's attacking people in the outback. Why? Australia. So sometimes you it's, can also take it in a fun direction, too. Is that the one that's on Shudder? Oh, it's so much fun. Like, I feel like I started watching that one, and it was... Yes, it was very, um, very, it was, you know, like campy fun. My friend described it as being perfectly Australia. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Because even at, by the end, she was like, oh, are they going to do this? And like, how did you know? She's like, I would do that because I'm Australian. <laughs> like, okay. I do love those kinds of fun movies, though, just because, yeah, why not? We can have that nature gigantism thing going and yeah. just have fun with it as well. It doesn't necessarily have to be horror horror. It can be crazy campy. Sure. Why not? Um, there was a more recent movie that came out on Shutter called The Wounded Fawn or A Wounded Fawn. I can't remember the actual particle there. But um, that also takes place in the woods and is very trippy and surreal. It doesn't actually follow woods um, folklore and woods logic. It actually follows uh, the Greek furies after this guy, which huh. is for some reason in upstate New York. Okay. And it is, it's a wild movie. But it's very fun. I do like that the Furies have a lot of nature elements entwined with their um, costuming and their depictions in the in the movie, hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is always nice to see whenever a bad guy gets attacked by a bunch of rightfully vengeful women. <laughs> he also walks that line of he's kind of Bruce Campbelly, that guy. Speaking so, of which Ruben. Yes, that's him. Yeah, he, he plays campy but straight very well, which is very Bruce Campbell of him. Nice. Like, he can be terrifying or he can be very funny. He doesn't have the chin, though. <laughs> he's also missing, you know, a chainsaw for a hand, but yes. Fine. It's not like you're going to find in that movie, you're not going to find a uh, Kandarian demon summoning book in the middle of this cabin. <laughs> Are there any sort of themes in um, in all the birds singing that you particularly respond to? Um, oh, anything like that, that that makes it a standout for you as well? Um, well, it's... Uh... I think, again, I really resonate with um, with stories about women who are mm -hmm. trying to 
just uh, overcome their pasts and um, that they're not perfect, that they're, you know, they're characters, protagonists who are just like messy, I guess is the best way to put it, you know, like kind of prickly and they don't want to have anything to do with people and I really like that. I love writing those kinds of characters and I like reading about those kinds of characters. So that's something that just um, really stuck with me when I read this the first time. And, um, and then also again, that, that there isn't a defined ending that it is ambiguous. Um, I also really like the narrative of going back and forth in time that that has been something that I really like reading, but also like to write. So, um, so when a book does it very well, like this one, it resonates. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the the way, like a lot of books. Well, I'm reading, um, sister maiden monster at the moment and, the first part of that is kind of it's the past intercut with the present and kind of switching back and forth between the two um i think when it's done well it's so it's such an effective technique as well um especially when it's that idea of the 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 character knows so much that they're not letting you know or at least not letting you know straight away Uh, Reggie, anything? My brain is going in all sorts of different directions. I'm trying to reel it in. Because <laughs> I feel like I have... Like, you can do the woods, right? But then, like, you start branching into more nature-based, and you can start getting into a lot of very interesting things, like desert or um, even, like, jungle themes. Which aren't necessarily wood. Nature as a whole is very terrifying. Yeah, Yeah. nature is really scary. Um, (laughs) Especially with the way that, you know, like, I mean, it's the reason why it's one of those sort of core plot things, isn't it? Man versus nature. Mm -hmm. And that fear of what exactly is hiding out there in the dark, whether it's the woods or the mountains or the sea. Or even... Or even man trying to somehow tame nature. That's mm-hmm. not possible, really. Um, I'm kind of going on a like a reach here, but I'm thinking of the movie The Medium, which is a Thai movie. And it's not like, it's not technically not something that's in the woods. It's that the spirits have always been there. It's just that you need to acknowledge these spirits and treat them appropriately or else Mm -hmm. something will happen. And that movie is a ride, but it all stems back to just like being respectful of what nature has in store for you Mm -hmm. and not trying to circumvent it in any way. Because once you start fighting it, that's when things start to happen. Yeah, and it feels like there's a different approach as well, because obviously there's this whole sort of women and nature 
aspect to it and it's interesting when you see the different ways that men will write a sort of man versus nature story whereas versus when women write it where like you said in this it's quite ambiguous whereas I think a lot of sort of male penned wood based stories they kind of explain what it is they reveal it whereas women will a lot of women writing it will keep it as more ambiguous without revealing it male writers are trying to be more rational like they're trying to rationalize the experience and i think what i like so much about these nature-based woods-based however you want to describe it stories is that they are kind of more intricately linked with the um female identity for lack of a better term in terms of just that ability to not only reproduce obviously female in this sense afab um and able to reproduce and continue on despite potential traumas and i think that a lot of women tend to connect with it a little bit more readily and also don't need that explanation yeah, I guess it also depends on on the the kind of um for lack of a better term forest horror that we're that you're sort of reading because if you do get uh surreal or cosmic elements thrown in um then there is definitely that unexplained um part of the the story which you know, both, I would say both, um, well, everybody has done a, a version of, um, and um, I did kind of want to add on to the idea of, of like nature not being something that you can really, I don't know, defeat. Um, yeah. With, with the, the add on that, if it's something that nature is doing that is not anticipated or is like not supposed to be happening, that's when it becomes even more interesting for readers. And, um, you know, if it's, if it's something that's supposed to have a stereotypical, um, look or a the way it's acting is supposed to be a certain way and then it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing that just really creates a I guess more of a panic and mm-hmm. um, and I like that too and that's kind of where all the birds singing sits for me because that's like it's a it's a predator that's killing but not eating um and that's it gets ominous it gets dark um you do start to think that it's uh less beast and more man or more psychological and um and having having that uh not being able to to know i guess what you're fighting makes it all the more terrifying yeah yeah 
Yeah, there's that sense of unknown. And then there's also the how could I ever possibly learn more about this in the time yeah. that we have? And you don't have that time. So it's very hard to master something that has spent however long evolving to this purpose. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add about the book before we start wrapping up? Book, topic, whichever one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so, honestly. I, uh, no, I can't think of anything else other than that people should really read the book um, mm-hmm. and really check out more of Evie Wilde's books because she is a phenomenal writer. Yeah, and of course... Um, Obviously, listeners should also check out the Wild Dark as well, because um, that sounds really good. Um, fab. So, where can listeners find you on the internet then as well? Well, I am all over social media. Uh, my, I'm most often on Twitter, uh, which is at Catherine Silva underscore, and um, on Instagram. Uh, Catherine.Silva.Author and on Facebook uh, at CatherineSilva.Author and then I'm also on TikTok but that's you know that is a place that is a little scary for some and (laughs) I do not blame you if you're not ready to embark on that journey yet so brilliant um and as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at EsbuckBookish. Um, feel free to leave us a review, a rating, um, wherever you, you find the podcast. Um, you can also send us feedback to EsbuckBookish at gmail.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at LTurpit. And I'm on Twitter at ReggieCWrites. And sometimes I'm screaming over on Tumblr as well. So, uh, yeah. So thank you very much, Catherine. This has been a, a great discussion as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think we'll definitely have to try and read that book and definitely have to read The Wild Dark as well. Yes, for sure. I'm adding it to my TBR, which is already overwhelming, but yeah. <laughs> kind of the peril of having a podcast like this. It's always something. Just TBRs in general. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's so no. much out there. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It was great to have you. Thank you for joining. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And thanks to the listeners, as always. Bye. Thanks all. Bye.